We're going to begin our message this morning by being in Matthew chapter 13. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, um, we are going to be uh, also doing a little bit of Bible drill. So just to to prepare your thoughts for getting ready to turn in Scripture will be good. Um, I... uh, And let me say, share this with you. We had a team of um, folks meet this week about children's ministry and uh, the, the time that's happening here in the middle of the service. Uh, and we're going to be continuing to do that through the next quarter. So I want to encourage you, uh, parents, one, uh, that we're continuing to look and see how we can meet your needs as families as we're worshiping together. Two, children. Um, I want to say thanks. You guys have been doing such a great job. And we, we love, one, how you're honoring your parents during this first part of the service uh, by, by being quiet and still, um, somewhat still. I know it's hard, um, but I think you guys have done a great job with uh, a variety of activities, coloring books, and those kind of things. And then when you come up here, the best thing is when you're participating, whether that be with Maya singing or with one of the teachers or one of the other uh, students that are leading, because I know Jovi's led, Daniel's led, Claire's led, Juliana's led. Uh, am I missing anybody, Maya? Eli's led. Thank you. Um, so Jensen has led too. Thank you. We're going to forget everybody. If I forgot you, please do this for me. Just see me afterwards and remind me. And in the meantime, just forgive me for forgetting, okay? I'm not intending to hurt your feelings, okay? That's the danger of trying to name everybody, is somebody's going to get left out inevitably. Um, But we're excited about what God has been doing in this time, and we're going to continue that through the next quarter. So uh, this morning, I'm going to be talking about the topic of joy. And as we think about this this concept with uh, that of Advent especially, I think what Steve read is, is actually, originally I planned on concluding the message with that very passage out of Luke, where, where the angels are singing and celebrating that, that Christ is the, the one who has come, that he, we should behold his glory, and that brings joyous good tidings to, to humanity. Um, there's nothing like the joy of knowing Christ. Now, with that, I want to share this. I think there, that, that joy can actually be a very controversial topic. And you may say, what? How, how can joy be controversial? Well, I want to share that with you from a biblical perspective, because I think that the scriptures actually teach us to, to one, be cautious about joy and how we find our joy and what its role is in scripture. So uh, we're going to, like I said, run through uh, several passages this morning, but I want to start in Matthew 13, because this is where Jesus is uh, giving the parable of the sower, and I think this is one of the most profound uh, parables that he gives, because it deals specifically with salvation. And in this, he, uh, this passage that we're reading this morning is his explanation of the parable to the disciples, because they're still uh, new to his teaching in a sense, they're trying to figure out how he uh, communicates, especially, I think, Parables, though they'd been used by others, I think Jesus was using them in a, a more um, 
important way because he's the divine teacher. He's, he's the, the one sent from God to, to be the perfect teacher. And so his use of these parables even changes the, the, the understanding for, for the disciples and even for us. So, so let's begin in Matthew chapter 13, verse 18, and we'll read these five verses as he explains the parable. Uh, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Now, let me, let me remind you, I should have done this before, but let me remind you. The parable of the sower is about the, the, the farmer who comes along and sows the seeds, and that, that seed represents the message of the gospel. And then Jesus talks about the types of soil that that seed falls on and how they respond to the truth of the gospel. So the, this first group, he says, is that, that they don't understand the evil one comes along and, and snatches it away. Um, that's, that's represented the path, that hard ground, okay? So as verse 20, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet... He has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And then tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word. Immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed, he indeed bears fruit, and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. So when, when I was reading this, and I actually started the, the preparation for this, and, and we in staff meeting on Monday talked about this very passage, um, one of the things that, that struck me about this concept of joy uh, that, that Jesus refers to is, is actually kind of controversial in, in, in my mind. It, it brings, puts me in a little bit of tension. Because I want to say how often have I been around those people that when they hear this, this, the truth of the gospel, they immediately respond with joy. Yet what does the scripture teach us? And I'm not saying, I don't, I don't want to be judgmental of their salvation, by the way. I want us to be cautious about those folks because I think Jesus warns us in this passage that, that those who just respond with joy, what is the tendency for them to eventually lose that joy and, and to bear no fruit. Isn't, isn't that what it says? It says that, that the word in verse 22, as for, um, I'm sorry, in verse 21, yet he has no root in himself, in himself, but he endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, he immediately, he falls away. And, and as I started wrestling with that, I, I, I began to, to notice that Jesus draws a contrast between those who respond to the message of the gospel, and I'm going to say this, and I want you to hear me carefully, okay, only with joy. When you respond, when someone responds only with joy, I'm concerned that they fall away because what distinguishes one who's a genuine believer? Look at verse 23. As for, the, for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and what? understands it. That there is a conscious faith, belief that establishes them well and allows the seed to take root in them. And, and so 
it, it began this for, for me this week as I'm thinking about this because we're to respond to the gospel with, and, and ultimately be joyful, right? I mean, I mean, we've sung that, you know, joyful, joyful, we adore thee. That, that's appropriate. But, but how do we make sure that our joy is rightly founded in our understanding of the gospel? So one, one uh, commentator that I read, and I thought this was great, his synopsis uh, of that one who only responds for, with joy, he said their regeneration, that means that, that being born again is superficial. And that, that made me pause because I, I think that there are a lot of folks, and you may be witnesses to them. And, and I could even say this. I think there was a point in my life that, that I knew some of the, the truths of, of uh, Scripture and the truths of the gospel, and there was a joyous response, but there wasn't a genuine belief. It was understanding and that, that it made me happy and uh, to think about having something different, but it was not rooted in a deep understanding of my sin and my need for Christ and genuine repentance. And, and so that joy, it was short-lived. And, and when I came into struggles, it was short-lived because it was superficial. So uh, let's look at another passage. Turn over to Romans chapter 15. Romans 15. And, and as, as I began to, to look and think through how does joy actually relate to the, the topics that, that are the elements that uphold the, the idea of Advent, which, as Steve talked about, we've already covered this week as he introduced us uh, this morning to the, the, the candle again. And we talked about what? The, the concept of hope being found in Christ that we also have, last week we talked about faith that is rooted in Christ, and his faith is about what? Us or Christ the object? It's about Christ the object. My faith is not what is going to sustain me. The object of my faith is what will sustain me, okay? So we've made that clear. And then here we're talking about this idea of joy. Next week we'll be looking at peace, and then on the, the 20th we'll be talking about the Christ candle. And so as I was looking for this passage, this, these passages on, and on joy, this one in Romans 15 came to, to light and because it, it covers all four of these elements. And I want to show you this, but I want to set it up in context. So say, okay, so we're going to be reading Romans 15, verses 8 through 13. So Paul here, here is discussing that how Christ is the hope for, not, uh, for the Jews, but not only for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. He says, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that's the Jews, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, in order that, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. So, so you hear this promise of, of the fulfillment of Christ coming to both the Jews and the Gentiles. That Christ is the one who is going to, to rule. He's the one who satisfies our need for uh, the misery of our, our sin with his mercy. It's his grace that will ultimately provide salvation. All these things are packed into this passage. Now listen to verse 13. 
Paul then, in almost this uh, celebratory summary, says this. May the God of hope, here's our first element in Advent, fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So, so do, do you catch all three of these, or all four, all four of these elements? You have may the God of hope do what? Fill you with what? All joy and peace, joy today, peace next week. And, and how does it happen? In believing, which we, that, that word believing there is the same exact Greek word that could be translated for faith. So, so here are all four elements of Advent packed into this one passage. So, so I began, I began to, to wrestle with what is the importance uh, of these truths here that would help us um, understand the, the relationship of all these elements. So I, I want to give you this first principle, if you will, or, or this first idea, that God is the God of hope, and His work, now catch this, His work fills us, okay? That, that, that may sound very simple, but it's actually very, very, very profound, because everything that God is doing to provide us hope he works in us according to his plan to fill us to what? Completion. Folks, there's no reason for us to ever discount or discredit or be discouraged by what God is doing. The problem is we get weighed down with the things of this world and I think we also pursue joy in some wrong ways. And when we get those things out of line, what it, what it does is undermines who we really are in Christ. And the joy that is to be ours because of our faith in Christ and who he is. So, so let me prove that a little bit biblically. If you look at this passage again in, in Romans 15, 13, it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So, so here's part of my principles, okay? I, and I, I want you to, to pay really careful attention to this thought. Because I think we, we can get our footing wrong with the idea of how we receive or accomplish or uh, attain a sense of joy. Joy is never found properly. Biblical joy. Let me say it that way and I'll clarify even more. Biblical joy is never found because of oneself. Biblical joy is found only because of a faith relationship with Christ. But the problem is, and I think most of y'all would agree with me in that, but the problem is most of us, I think we struggle with how we actually try to attain biblical joy. People in the world especially cannot get it. They look at everything else in life and say, how can I find joy through relationships? How can I find joy through finances? How can I find joy with all these toys and, and grandiose things? How can I find joy in beauty? How can I find joy in all of these other things? But folks, that kind of joy is fleeting. Joy in Christ is rooted totally in Him, and it's a perfect joy. And 
look at our text again this morning. What does he say in Romans uh, in 15, 13? He says, with, we will be filled with all joy and peace in believing. Do you get that? It doesn't come first. Joy and peace are the byproducts of a relationship with Christ. That, that's the biblical principle here. So can, can I prove that a little bit further? Turn over to uh, Galatians verse, uh, chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Many of you will be really familiar with this. But in this passage, in 5.22, Galatians 5.22, what we find is what? The passage that reveals the fruit of the Spirit and the qualities or characteristics of how that fruit of, of the Spirit exists in us and the descriptions of, of what that fruit consists. So let, let's look at this. 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is, first of all, consists of love. And then what? Joy. And then further, peace, next week's topic, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there's no law. Who produces biblical joy in us? It's the Holy Spirit. It's not something that I can manufacture on my own. And if I'm trying to manufacture joy on my own, I'm, I'm out of line biblically. Because joy is a fruit an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. He brings that joy. Now, faith doesn't even produce it. Do you catch that? Faith does not produce joy. Faith in Christ is the conduit by which the Holy Spirit brings about joy. So, so I started thinking about this, um, and, and it brought me to this other principle, okay? Is that, we ought not think that our believing is a result of our joy or peace. See, and I think this goes back to why Jesus said this in, in, in the, the parable of the sower, that joy, if, if, we, if we respond in joy to the message, that, that puts us actually in danger because it has to be about us understanding. But if we respond only with joy, what happens when our joy is challenged or diminished because of struggles? If our faith is rooted in joy, it would mean to me that, that we would begin to lose our faith, that, that it would be hindered, that, that it, it would possibly totally be disrupted, that, that it would be gone because of the struggles and circumstances and the trials that are inevitable in this life. Does that make sense? And, and that's why we've got to get joy aligned biblically in how it comes through salvation, that where we respond by grace through faith to the gospel message so that the Holy Spirit is the one who produces that fruitful characteristic of joy in our life. So, so, so you all with me so far, right? Okay, good. So let me read a quote because I think this is a great illustration. See, uh, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, he said this in terms of getting joy aligned or out of line, uh, where if we respond to joy first instead of faith first, it, it won't bear good fruit. So here's his description. I just love this. He says, beware of that order. You will get peace, peace just as the florist gets his flower from the bulb. Okay? Now, does anybody raise irises? Katie? 
tries to with us. We have irises at our house. Ladies, come on. Who knows irises? Some of y'all do. Okay. How an iris works is you don't plant a seed. You actually have this bulb. It's called a rhizome. Am I right, Katie? Okay. And that rhizome then produces the flower that eventually grows. And that rhizome, as they mature, what happens is the rhizomes begin to multiply themselves. You can't take the stem of an iris, or the top of it, and plant that and have more irises. You have to wait for those rhizomes and bulbs to grow. Then once you can split them, then you can take them and start more beds or whatever. Okay. Has everybody experienced that? So y'all didn't know I knew a little bit about horticulture stuff, did you? Okay, surprise, surprise. There's always surprises, okay? So here, that helps us understand this. So here's what uh, Spurgeon continues. He says, you will never get the bulb from the flower. Take the tulip and try it. That fine flower will come up if you put it in that ugly bulb into the ground and give it time. You'll get the glory of the flower ere long. But take the flower and put it into the best prepared earth and see if you will ever get the bulb. Now joy and peace are the soul's flower. And if you get faith into the ground, joy and peace will come of it. But if you get joy and peace first and say, now I believe, no, you do not. It is not believing. It is the very opposite to it. You must not, therefore, reverse the laws and rules of right procedure. That's a great warning. Now, wh- why do I think that's a, a great warning? And I'm going to pause here and just uh, after I say this because I think it brings uh, or bears great implications for us in our day and age. Because especially where we are in our our age and era with the the things that are transpiring in our culture, joy is needed, but joy is often very fleeting. And I think we have all been challenged about how to have a biblical joy during 2020. So I'm going to unpack that after we have our kids come down. So children, you guys ready? I think Mr. Steve is teaching y'all this morning. Who's doing worship after that, Steve? Miss Maya is? Okay. I'm going to move my gear. You ready, Steve? You need to give the warning again to the parents to, to, and adults? No, they remember. Right? They heard? They remember. just point at you, nobody else. Good morning. How's everybody doing down here? Woo, all righty. So we are continuing our story about the birth of Jesus, our Savior. And last week we heard how God sent the angels to Mary and Joseph, right? So it's almost time for the baby Jesus to be born and Jesus's mommy and daddy, Joseph and Mary, had to take a long trip. And they had to go to a little town called Bethlehem. And they took this long, long trip. And when they got into town, everybody else was taking that same trip. And there was no place for them to stay. How many of you ever gone on a trip, on a vacation? And how many of you got to stay in a motel or a hotel? And it had a swimming pool. And it had an indoor swimming pool. And even though it was really cold, you could go swim and play and have fun. Right? Well, poor Joseph and Mary, there was no place for them to go. And so a kind person said, hey, 
The best I've got is a little stable. It's warm and it's dry and you can stay in there. And you know it was in that warm and dry stable? Other animals. What kind of animals do you think were in the stable? Joby. Could have been. Horses. Yeah. Sheep. What do sheep say? That's a sheep with some indigestion, but, you know, hey, it's okay. Why do I get all of the lessons that have to do with animals? The last one I did had to do with animals, too. Remember, because it was Noah and the ark, and, yeah. And they had cows. What do cows say? Ooh, somebody actually tried to go. Have you ever done that and watched a cow out on the road stop and look at you funny? Or maybe it's just me. But I, anyway. So, so you have all of these animals staying here, hanging out. And baby Jesus is born and placed in the manger. But the cool thing is, is that, is that this was not an event that happened. And it was just between Joseph and Mary and the animals because there were some shepherds. Do you know what a shepherd is? What's a shepherd? A guy who takes care of sheep. Awesome. A sheep herder. And there were some some shepherds hanging out in this field and it was really dark and it was really quiet. And an angel showed up on the scene and he said to these shepherds, don't be afraid. I've got good news of great joy that a Savior has been born. And these shepherds were looking at this angel going, what? And then all of the sudden, a host of angels joined in and shouted, hey kids, the shepherds had a much better concert than that, okay? The angels shouted with great joy and celebration. And the shepherds said, we've got to go see this baby. So they left their sheep and went into town. And just like the angel had told them, they found Mary and Joseph and the baby. And he was wrapped in warm blankets and lying in a manger. And they were so excited because what was, what was told was true. So there's that beautiful aspect of faith. That what was said to them was true. And they could believe it. And they were so excited. Let me read a passage of scripture for you. In Isaiah chapter 9 verses 6 and 7 it says, For unto us a child is born, the baby Jesus. For unto us a son is given, the Son of God. And the government will be upon his shoulders. He's in charge. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. We don't need to be afraid because our Savior is in charge. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness 
from that time on forever and ever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Kids, we are so blessed to know that a long time ago in Bethlehem, a Savior was born. And we can celebrate that with joy and hope and faith. Because for unto us, a child is born. Miss Maya is going to come and sing and lead. And who? Who's coming with you? Jovi and Jensen today are going to be our helpers. Jovi and Jensen. And everybody can get up and adults, if you need a little bit of, you know, get your wiggles out. That's a great moment to do it. <laughs> That's a new expression I learned here. So I don't even know if I'm saying it right, but I know your, it has to do. Oh. Yeah, uh-huh. I, I just know it has to do something with moving around so you can sit still afterwards. Just like the angels, we are going to sing the same song that the um, adults sang for us now. But we're going to pretend we are drummers. Let me see your hands. I need to see your hands. That's fantastic. Because we're going to hit the drums like this. Exactly. Very good. Okay, Jensen. Okay, Jovi, ready to do this? Okay, next move, we imagine there's drums right here, and we hit them like this with both hands. It's like last week. We're getting ready. We're rehearsing for Christmas, right? Remember that gift? We need to open it for Christmas. You got it. And then we're going to bow to our newborn king, and we're going to hit the floor twice. One, two, good job. And then here, one, two, good job. And then way up in the sky, one, two, three, four, good now imagine you have drums all around you, and you don't want to miss a single one. And drum, 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 hit, 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 hit the drums. Good job. And then there's some over here. You don't want to miss those either. One, two, three, four. And then the other way. One, two, three, four. And by now, our legs are bored. They need to do something. So we're going to go this way, like that. And now we're ready to do it. Let's go up and praise the Lord together. Huge smiles, everyone. Good, we're ready, go.
to come here and get a bag. I have a system, so be patient. And so, so one of the things that, that I want us to move into is the practical implications of us possessing faith that produces in us joy. That's great. Don't leave him. Don't leave him. <laughs> He's got stuff he needs to get a hold of. You know, there, there's something about kids being excited in there. Um, now... This year, how many of you have um, referred to 2020 in some kind of negative way, especially as a verb? You know, you, oh man, it's just, I've been 2020'd, right? It's like, there, there's, it's, it's taken on a whole new context. It's like the word Google, right? You, you now, it's, Google was a, a name of a, a web platform. Now, well, have you Googled it? You know, I'm, I'm Google, I got to Google this. It's, it's now, 2020 has some kind of negative verbiage and terminology that goes with it. And, and I, I started thinking about this and, and wondering how many of us have used that term because we feel like some sense of our joy has been robbed in 2020. I mean, I have. I, I'll be the first to admit that. I, I struggle about things that have gone on in 2020. You know, we, we, we've been there together. But I also started wrestling through this. That's not where the Lord wants us to be. At least as believers, we ought not to exist in that kind of 2020 frustration because of the context of the era. I started wondering this. How many of us have actually used the opportunity of the difficulties of 2020 to instead talk about the promises and the sovereignty of God and how He actually produces joy through relationship with Christ. And so I started running through some, some thoughts. So these will be familiar passages uh, for you, for us, but I want to remind us of these passages, and I'm just going to read them. Uh, Romans 8, verses 28 through 39. This is where, to me, response to being 2020 ought to be different for us as believers because of the joy produced in us because of faith in Christ. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order, with a purpose, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say uh, to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, how will we... I'm sorry, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? See, time out. My joy should not be gone because of 2020, but because of who I am in Christ, he is giving me all things. What are all those things? Well, first of all, surely it's the hope that we read about. That, that, and contextually, remember, Paul's going to unpack these things later in Romans 15, that we're going to be experiencing this God of hope and the fullness of what he wants to, to pour into us, which is certainly joy and peace in faith, in believing. You see where he's founded this now? Now let's keep reading. Uh, how, how will he not graciously give us all things? In verse 33 now, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? 
Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, 2020 tribulation? I mean, we can insert that right there, couldn't we? Or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written. For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. When I think about biblical joy being rooted in faith and who Christ is, it ought to dispel all my worries about anything that comes my way. No tribulation, no distress, nothing in all of the world will ever be able to separate me from the love of Christ. 2020, who cares? Honestly, it's just a blip. And I know I can minimize that in that sense, but I'm, I'm going to unpack that a little bit more. Look at another verse. Turn over if you're searching scriptures with me. Turn over to James chapter 1, verse 24. Well, that may, I'm sorry, James 1, 2 through 4. It's like, that's not right. James 1, 2 through 4. James is right and he says what? Count it all, here's our word for the morning, joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, see how do we get joy? It's actually by the testing of our faith. That when our faith proves worthy because it's rested in Jesus, the object of that faith, then our, those trials and struggles actually show us where our joy really relies uh, or who it relies upon. Look back in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. If you're, I'll give you just a second to get there. Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. This is what we read. Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You hear this, this theme that, that Scripture uh, d demonstrates to us that we have in Christ hope, that in Christ we can rejoice because our faith is in Him who is the, the stable object. And when we have that faith in Him rightly, our joy will increase. How many of you guys, uh, especially, uh, I'm, I'm talking to guys in here. I know my, my girls walk through and they watch me watch this show, and they're like rolling their eyes. Forged in fire. How many of you have seen Forged in Fire? If, okay, good. Jacob, you, you, I'm glad, man. I'm glad. you. How many of you? Let me, let me get a good peek. Yeah, several of you guys. Okay, so you'll, you'll understand this. So it's a manly show, isn't it? 
There's nothing like guys uh, taking a, an eight-pound hammer and beating on molten metal, okay, on an anvil. It's just so cool. And then what the, the product is, they either make a knife or a sword or an axe, something like that. It's amazing, okay? I want a forge for Christmas. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, it's, it's amazing. And, and I don't know anything about forging. I've never forged anything in my life. I wasn't one of these kids like some of them that go out with the, the tools in their backyard and start forging tools when they were kids. I just didn't do that stuff. But I'm, I'm certainly, like, learned a lot through watching this show. And one of the things that they do is when they've heated up the metal time and time again in the forge, they take it and they dip it in this oil. And the point of that is to bring it out, actually to let it cool in a certain temperature and, and way, that when they bring it out of the oil, it actually hardens the metal beyond what it is in its normal state, okay? And, and so that's called quenching. And if you've watched, what happens is, do, does everybody quench the blades properly, Jacob? No, they don't, do they? There, there are several of them that, that miss it. And then what they do after the quenching, how do, you, how do you know how well the quench went? They put that blade under stress. They take it and they'll take a baton like a bat and they'll beat it on things like a boat chain like that holds the anchor down. Or they'll beat it on a, a, a big oaken barrel that's just incredibly hardwood. They'll take it and do it against railroad spikes or ties and stuff like that. I mean, it's stuff that you should never do to a knife. And they'll take it and they'll bend it, like some of the swords, they've taken them and they'll bend them to like a certain degree. And then they'll go back the other direction and you're just waiting for that thing to snap. And inevitably what happens is somebody survives the rounds of test. And you can see those guys when, when their knife or blade goes through the stresses of what the judges put it through, they have a great sense of joy and relief at what's happened. Now, now here's my point of sharing all that. Would we really know joy without struggles? Would we know? See, see I think what, what biblically we learn is struggles and trials show us the metal of who we are in Christ and who he is for us so that as we go through those things, it produces the character of Christ in us that brings about a joy of Christ for us. Now, now how does that ultimately happen? And I want to show you this in, in three key passages, and, and we're almost done. Okay, so look over in John 15. In John 15 we begin to see um, this, this great, uh, these great thoughts of Christ. Um, but in particular, John has developed what I think is a, a minor theme in his book. Most of the book is, is, is about Jesus being the Word, the one who has, has, has transformed all of creation because he is that, that Word that, that came and, and was born in the flesh and, and, and shared the truth of the gospel with us. But this minor theme of joy comes up, and it begins in John 15. And if, you, if you've been studying the Word real carefully, you'll find uh, and remember that John 15 is this passage about Jesus being the true vine. And the, the, in, in that image, uh, uh, in that analogy, what he's doing is revealing to us that we abide in him, and he abides in us as the, the branches of a vine abide together so that there's fruit that's born. So, so I want you to hang on to this key thought here. 
Joy is ultimately brought about because we abide in Christ, because there is a relationship and presence that he brings to us that happens as we come to faith in him as our Savior. So if we don't abide with Christ, we can't have this biblical joy. Now, now let me connect that dot for just a minute with Advent. What is the, 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 the um, theme uh, or the overarching idea of Advent? It's this longing and expectancy for the arrival of someone or something. And in our case, what we're longing and expecting is the coming of Jesus. We know that Jesus came at his birth, and we know he's coming again. But, but folks, I want to remind you that you have the presence of Christ in you if you're a believer. It's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And, and we ought to be expectant about in, enhancing that understanding and that relationship every day as we abide in Christ and He in us. So look at verse, uh, verses 7 through 11 of John 15. He says, this is Jesus speaking, He says, If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, is my, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so, I have, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, listen, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Where does joy come from? It comes from us abiding in Christ so that as we work in that, the presence of that relationship, his joy will be ours and that joy will be full. Isn't that a great promise? Now look further. Look at John 16, verses 20 through 24. So here, as Jesus is teaching these last moments of his life, he's hitting this minor theme of joy. John 16, 20 through 24. He's talking to his disciples and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish, the struggles, the pain, the trials. Why? For joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. What, where do we find our greatest joy? Again, Jesus says, in him, in a relationship with him that will give us the, the fullness of joy. Look at one more passage in John 17, verse 13. Here, this is the the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And in this, he says, in verse 13, but now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Look at verse 21 real quickly. That they, and, and so, so 
And I'm reading verse 21 because specifically the first portion of this, Jesus is praying for his, his immediate disciples, but it extends to us as well as, as followers that would come in later generations. In verse 21 it says, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So what Jesus is getting at is the joy that his disciples had experienced right there in his immediate presence would also extend to us because of the message of the gospel that would be shared. Now, I want to conclude with one more passage of Scripture. Look over at Psalm 16, 11. And I wish I had uh, the opportunity and time to unpack this entire psalm. It's incredible. I'd really encourage you this afternoon to go back home and, and take uh, 10, 15 minutes just to, to read through the entirety of this psalm. Uh, because it's, it's addressing how uh, David is the, the writer, and he's addressing how he's not going to be abandoned by the Lord, but the Lord is his, his security and his provision. Now look at verse 11. He says this, You make known to me the path of life. Okay? So, so first of all, let, let's, let's break this down real quickly. You. Who is the you there? It's the Lord. It, it's, it's our Heavenly Father for David, that Old Testament relationship of God the Father. Okay, now let's not think that Christ is not present because he says, you make known to me the path of life. Who is the path of life? Jesus says in John uh, 14, 6, he said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except by me. See, he is the path that the Father uses to illuminate us, to, to direct us into that right relationship with our Father, our Heavenly Father. So let's look this further. You make known to me the path of life. Now here's the key. In your presence, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. Folks, if, it's, if we are living apart from Christ, we will not find joy. Because joy is found in the presence of Christ. Do, do you get that? How are we doing understanding and being consistent to walk in the presence of Christ our Savior? How are we doing to abide in Him? How are we doing to experience the depth and breadth and height and width of His love for us? See, see if we're talking about Advent and we're expectant about that presence and the coming of Christ... He is present with us through the Holy Spirit, and we ought to be abiding in that sense all the time so we experience the presence of what kind of joy? The fullness of joy. 2020, see, it's just a blip. It just reminds me of how God is refining me through the struggles so that I might experience the fullness of joy. And then listen to this last part. At your right hand, our pleasures forevermore. See, when we are in the presence of Christ, joy is ours. The pleasures of a relationship with Christ are ours forevermore. See why when Jesus came, everything was transformed. Why our joy is found in Him. True joy is found in Him. Biblical joy is found in Him. And nothing, nothing can rob us of that joy because it's rooted in Christ and who we are in Christ.
That's the message of joy and Advent to me this year. I hope that it encourages you to wherever you are in this season, uh, especially with, with the, the way things are in this world, to be con- committed to walking in the way that Jesus has made straight for us, to spend time in the world, to grow in an understanding of his presence so that you can experience the joy that he has for you, the fullness of joy. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this morning we have sung about the joy that is ours in Christ. We've sung about the mercies that are ours because of Christ. We, we confess through, through worship together that you are the object of our faith. And because of that, Lord, we ought to overcome the things of this world. It, it, we ought to be able to endure the, the stresses and the struggles and the trials so that as we walk in your presence, Lord, as we dwell in your presence, according to the truth of the gospel, we find the fullness of our joy increased. Lord, that's the promise that Christ gave us, that he would prove his joy in us. So, Father, I pray for every believer in this room, everyone that's here uh, within the sound of my voice on uh, Facebook Live or wherever else they they may be listening from today, Lord, that, that they would be encouraged to walk in your presence in the ways of Christ, our Savior. And Father, if there's someone that that does not know Christ, I pray, Lord, that that you would, through the person of your Holy Spirit, draw them to salvation. Lord, that you convince them of the truth of the gospel, that you would uh, express to them their need for Jesus to be the one, as he is, to overcome their sin, because that's what he came for, to pay the penalty for our sin, to take upon our guilt, to take upon him our shame so that we might be reconciled to our Heavenly Father. So, Father, I pray that you convince them, that you convict them, that you also give them a courage to to seek out counsel on how they can rightly be saved and know Jesus Christ as their Savior and find this kind of biblical joy. So, Father, in this season... We ask that we would be conscious of your presence in our lives on a daily basis, moment by moment, and that we would give testimony to your great grace and your love for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake.